and his heart for us is. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said to him, You bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I came from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And yet if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone. But I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am the one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Then they said to him, Where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. These words spoke Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him. For his hour had not yet come. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Physiognomics. It's the study of the way bodily form signals character. Did that help? No. <laughs> no. Let me be a little more descriptive then. If a lion is a lion, it acts like a lion is supposed to. So if you see a lion, you expect it to act like a lion. Its bodily form determines its disposition or its character. Uh, they believed in the time of Jesus by close observation in physiognomics. And this is what they believed. By close observation of a person's movements, postures, colors, facial expressions, hair, skin type, voice, flesh tone, parts of the body, and overall physique, human character could be determined. Jesus' opponents made judgments about Him based on appearance and form. So if you see someone and you see how they're dressed, it gives you an idea, maybe, of where they came from or what their character is like. But this is all they went by. For us, in modern day society, we also have the psychological aspects of things, the spiritual aspects, emotional aspects. All these things determine character. But for them, it was just where they came from. And if they could determine that by looking or knowing their region of origin, then they expected them to act like a person from that place. In other words... If a lion came from the jungle, they expected a lion to act like a lion that came from a jungle. So someone who's from Galilee acted like all other Galileans. Now, the difference between them and the way we do things is, is they did things in terms of groups, not individual. So an individual identity they didn't understand. It was group identity, and everybody acted in accord with the way the group of which they were from was. That makes sense? It's a little bit of a different way of looking at things, but we're going to look in this 8th chapter, and that's a good way to begin to understand what Jesus is coming up against. It's people who believe that where they're from, or where you're from, 
determines who you are as a person and how you're supposed to act. There was no uh, self-identity and I'm going to be this and I'm going to be that and I'm going to determine this that we see running rampant in our society in, to me, very often tragic ways. When Jesus says in verse 12, I am the light of the world, he who follows me shall not walk in darkness but have the light of life, it's a rattling truth for them which must be rejected on the basis of unconfirmed validity and the source. doesn't matter if he's telling the truth. If he's from Galilee, it's to be questioned because people from Galilee don't know anything. Now you say, but, but don't they understand that individuals can have gifts and talents? For them, no. No, you act in accord with where you're from or else you bring shame to where you're from. It's all about family, descendants, and region. There there isn't any of this, well, I'm going to have my own style and my own way of looking at things and how I do things, and therefore I'll be a unique individualist. There was no such thing at that time. If you say, give me another example, i give you one more. When Jesus was uh, compelled to carry His cross and He fell three times, they pulled a man out of the crowd. And you might think, Well, I know who that was. That was Simon the Cyrenian. Why would they say the Cyrenian if it didn't matter where he was from? So they're saying that because they call him the Cyrenian, you now knew what he acted like. Like a Cyrenian. And they don't have to tell you anything else for the people who saw that story or heard that story in their culture to understand who Simon was. What he acted like. He acted like a Cyrenian. Not like an individual Simon, but a Cyrenian named Simon. The culture in the region was first. Your personal identity did not matter. Jesus says he's the light of the world. We later find in this chapter that he says that before Abraham was, he was there. And I thought, let's just see where Jesus is in the Scripture. And I began to ponder when He said, I'm the light of the world, where light was mentioned. In the beginning was uh, when God began to create the world, the world was out form and void, and the Spirit hovered upon the face of the waters. And God looked upon the face of the deep and said, let there be light. First thing, light. When they're wandering in the wilderness, it's a cloud by day, which God could inhabit. But at night, it was what? A pillar of fire to give them light in the darkness. Every time you see light in Scripture, Jesus is referring to Himself as that reference. And you can go through and see In Isaiah, the people have seen a marvelous and great light. That's Isaiah. You look in the Old Testament at light, and Jesus is saying, they're talking about me. So, when he says that, they don't catch that. They don't catch all those references, because all they have is the Old Testament references. They don't have a New Testament yet. 
hasn't been written because it hasn't been done yet. So what he says, in the rest of verse 12, after he says, I'm the light, he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now, we tend to take that part of the verse and break it down the wrong way. We think that that says, whoever believes in Jesus is going to shine brightly. It does not say that. The word for belief is pistuo. The word for follow is not pistuo. It's akath- I can't even say it without looking at it, but apakathalumio. And that word means to reach out to, to follow, to be discipled. It does not mean to believe. And so when he says, he who follows me, he means whoever lets me disciple them and believes what I say and and understands who I am, that person will have the light of life. And the light of life is Christ within. The Spirit of God illuminating you. When Jesus says this, on that day, we are at the great day of the feast, and in, behind him, and it tells us where this happens in the temple treasury. In the temple treasury is outside, across from the women's court in the temple. Now, I'm not giving you some like picture you can really see real well, but by the treasury is a large table and four gigantic candles. That at the moment he says that they are lighting those four candles. And he's saying, as they light those candles, which is signifying to the uh, Israelite nation that the light of God will one day come. And he watches them being lit as he stands there. It's why they reference in verse 20 is in the treasury where he says, I am the light of the world. As those four candles are being lit, he says, I am that light. It's also why they say in verse 20 why they're upset with him. Because he's claiming that celebration of God's light is about him. As soon as he says that, they say the following. Your witness is not valid because you're the one telling us it's what's true. You can't bear witness to yourself. Is what they're saying to him. And Jesus, I think, chuckles. Because just a few verses back, it says this woman was caught in the very act by a witness. One witness. And if it's one witness, that witness can't be true. It has to have more than one. And Jesus says, even if I do bear witness... I'm not going to lie to you. My witness is the truth. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. And what he's saying to them is, if you knew who I was, you wouldn't question what I've said is true. If we said, God is the creator of the universe. Or if I just said that, would you say, well, that's not true. You're only one person who's witnessing that. Or would you say, of course God's the creator of the universe. Who else would have done that? Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And they, if they knew who he was, was God made flesh, they wouldn't be questioning 
whether or not that was true. They would simply be saying, what does this mean for me? What does it mean for my life? And how do I respond to the truth? But they didn't do that. They questioned, how could you witness to yourself? Did you know if you have your day in court, you actually get to testify to yourself? Did you know that? There are other people who might bear witness, but you also get to take the stand under oath also. I think you might know that. Might have seen it on TV if you've never been in court. And when you get your day in court to tell the truth, you feel almost like exonerated, free to tell the truth without holding back. And when you do that, and you bear witness to yourself telling the truth, it actually has a ring to it that makes sense. It sounds like truth. People who are deceptive or lying also have a certain ring to them in what they say and what they do. And it sounds untruthful. And the reason I share this with you is because when Jesus shares something, it doesn't sound like He's vacillating and being wishy-washy with half-truths and partial statements about things. He's very, very enunciated and clear. This is who I am. You don't know who I am. Therefore, you can't question it on my origin. And that's what he tells them. You don't know where I'm from, nor do you know where I'm going to go. And you do not know who I am. And in verse 15, he throws it out there. He says, you judge according to the flesh. What do you mean? Physiognomics. You look at me and you expect me to be something because you think I'm from Galilee and you think Joseph is my father and Mary is my mother and those guys are my brothers out in the crowd and that's who you think I am because I'm from that place in your understanding. And he keeps telling them, your understanding of where I came from is wrong. You look at me from a fleshly perspective. Let me share this with you. Matter not the culture. If you agree with Jesus or view Him on a fleshly perspective, you're going to get it wrong. Every time. Because He is not considered from a fleshly point of view. He is spirit. God made flesh. Love made incarnate. That is not something that is flesh. It's spiritual. And so when Jesus is saying this, you judge according to the flesh, and then He says, I judge no one. He does not mean that He doesn't judge people. He says, I don't judge according to the flesh. God does not judge according to what you look like. Otherwise, King David, the little youth, would never have been anointed king. It would have been one of his bigger, handsome, stronger brothers. And David would never have stood before Samuel. But when David came, God was glorified when He said, you judge on outward appearances, but I look at the heart. Flesh can't see heart. 
Love sees heart. When someone acts loving, you know it. But not because it makes sense. It's because of knowing and love and what it appears like. And so then he says in verse 16, If I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. In other words, I'm not on my own mission. I am on His task, His mission. When Jesus then says in verse 17, it's written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. Here's what he says. It is written in your law. Wait a minute. What law is he talking about? That is their law. Well, that's the same verse we looked at last week when they brought the woman caught in adultery where they said, this woman was caught in the very act and therefore she should be killed. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, we read these verses last week. It was very convenient to keep them in the computer for this week. It says, whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He shall be put to death on the shall not be put to death or accused or convicted on the testimony of one witness, which is what they're saying to him. One witness isn't enough. Yet the same law says on the testimony of two, it can be. But this kind of witness that they are using to justify Jesus not able to testify to himself is someone who's done something worthy of death. Of a high crime. All Jesus said is, I'm the light of the world. And they said, well, your witness doesn't count because it says, you know, you've got to have two witnesses to verify something. That's only in terms of dying, of death penalty type things. Not in terms of whether or not Jesus has spoken the truth by being a witness of Himself. But Jesus doesn't go there. Because what He says is, your law, not the Mosaic law, because the Mosaic law says nothing about what they've said. They've made Mosaic law into their own interpretation for their purposes, for whatever they want to use it for. So they've changed it from someone with a death penalty crime to anybody including this guy who says he's the light of the world. You see how they twisted the law of Moses? They've made it the way they wanted it to do with their own interpretation. And so Jesus says, and your law also says it shall be done by two witnesses. I'm one and my father's the other. Therefore, I've satisfied your law and it's not even God's law. And he says, in verse, this is where he says in verse 18, I bear witness of my Father who sent me bears witness of me. But, what they don't understand and have not participated in is the witness of the Father. His disciples were able to hear the witness of the Father when He was baptized, when He was on the Mount of Transfiguration. A little later in this Gospel, the Father says, I am Beloved Son, 
I am well pleased with Him. I will glorify My name and I will glorify it again, is what He says later in this Gospel. So, the Father bears witness, but Jesus goes a little more clear and He says, if you've seen Me and you've heard My witness, My witness is actually the Father's witness, not My own. So my witness and my father's witness are the same witness, but you don't know him. And they said to him in verse 19, who's your daddy? Where's your father? Where's he at? How can we find him? Where's he live? All these questions. See, they were trying to find out Jesus' origin and family so they could put Him into their mindset of understanding who He is so they could judge according to the flesh what kind of things Jesus was saying were valid or not. They're still stuck in their head. And Jesus says, relatively speaking, you don't know my Father. Literally, Relatively. Because he gets a little later in the verse and says, you're not related. (laughs) I mean, in the chapter, he says, you're not related. So Jesus, in this passage so far, introduces the fraud in their confidence of understanding what Jesus is and who he is. Now, it sounds like he's reposting against them and trying to bring back this thing to a a place where he's challenged them back and they're going to challenge him and he's going to challenge them like they're putting Jesus on trial. But it isn't what happens here. And what happens here is one of the most amazing twists in the Gospel of John. What you're going to see, starting with these few verses and into the rest of the chapter, Jesus puts them on trial. And not only does he put them on trial, If we read this carefully, He puts us on trial. And I don't mean trial like condemnation trial. It's the trial of how do I know that I belong to God? How do I know I belong to Jesus? Jesus is telling them clearly, this is how you know you belong to the Father. But they're arguing semantics. Rather than trying to be... Con- he even says, My Father is your God, the one you call God. And they still don't get it. They're still arguing semantics. Instead of saying, Wait a minute, if God is your Father, what can you tell us about the Father and teach us so we might worship Him better? Doesn't happen, does it? They reject His authority because He won't tell them specifically other than what He's told them, that I'm from the Father, from above. And they can't get that. And He keeps telling them, you judge according to culture and how they perceive people. But we also do this today when we observe someone's behavior. Tell me we don't. And I'll point you back to, yes, we do. If someone is dressed poorly, we think they're poor. If they're out on the streets, we think they don't want to work and they're drug infected or alcohol infected and 
don't know how to live and make proper decisions. And we do that just because they're out on the street. Do we know this? No, but we assume it, don't we? We make a judgment according to the flesh. We do that. Someone comes in dressed well, gives a large gift to the church. We think, well, that person must be important. We don't know that, but we assume that because that is what we've learned to do in the flesh. And Jesus is trying to get us to stop. Stop judging people. Look at them and love them and don't make any other further suggestion about it. In the Beatitudes, Jesus over and over again says, bless those who hurt you. Pray for them. Love all. Go the second mile. Do above and beyond what's expected of you and you'll have a reward in heaven. But we don't go there. We think, I believe in Jesus and that's enough, but we don't follow. We just say, well, I believe He's the Son of God. But do you get discipled by Him? These folks didn't believe in Jesus. But did you know the demons do? And Satan believes Jesus is the Son of God? It doesn't mean he's a follower. Belief is not enough. You have to get all the way into where without Jesus, i got nothing. i got nothing. And if I have everything that I ever wanted in this life, but I don't have Jesus, it's pointless. And we don't think that way because we get comfortable and complacent in a world that isn't violent around us. But did you know that 80 to 90% of the world's Christians suffer daily persecution? Did you know that? That in the countries where the persecution of the church is the greatest, is the fastest, Christianity is growing? Where it's harder to be a Christian, there are more of them? At the name of Jesus Christ, some people fall on their face and give their entire life to Jesus? Did you know that? We say the name of Jesus here, we go, oh yeah, he's, you know, I know who he is. We don't tremble. We don't go, he's the light of my life. He's my joy of my joy. He's a friend above all friends. He's my lover of my soul. We don't do that. We just, yeah, I believe in him. But there's no passion, no joy, no enduring fruit, because we just look at him from a mindset instead of a heart. For God. That saddens me. But we look at Jesus from the flesh. And I go, you know, if I go to this other country and I start getting persecuted, well, I'm sure I'll stand up for Jesus. I don't know that. You don't know you will if you won't stand up for Him in the spite or in the face of people who say, you know, you might lose your job. You might offend somebody. They don't want to hear that. They might take me to the, what is it, the ACLU or whoever it is that goes after those folks. The people who say, get religion out of this society. Maybe that's who you're afraid of. I'd be more afraid of Jesus saying, I don't know you. But to be afraid of that, you have to believe He is who He said He is first. If you don't believe He's the Creator and Light of the world and Giver of life and the joy of your soul, you won't stand in Him. Jesus, I'm looking for people to follow Me, not people to say they believe in Me from a distance, 
but to actually risk. Did you know Jesus said, in this world you will have persecution? Because He did. If you want to be a representative of Jesus Christ in this world, you're going to come against opposition. And it may not be fun. It may be a friend who steps away. Or a family member who says, you don't know what you're talking about. And gives you all sorts of logical fleshly reasons to think that God isn't real and Jesus was just a man. And they'll give you every sorts of proof about what God didn't do, what He should have done, what He could have done, and left it all alone. And they'll give you every reason they don't believe, but they will never give you a reason to not believe when you know who He is in your heart. Jesus is looking for someone who understands and gets it. And he's trying to find out who's missing it. And he's exposing in this chapter all those, including here in our world and society, those who are missing it. He's trying to find out who's a part of the in crowd. And the sole source of that is whether you believe what he says is true or you question it because you don't know where he's from. How many people say, I believe in Jesus, but they're really not settled in their soul that he really is the Son of God from heaven, came to earth, died, and went back, and truly lives the right hand of God the Father, intercede on their behalf. With power, ready to pour out all heaven into your disposal if you'll just follow him. How many people actually grab a hold of that and live that moment by moment with expectation God's going to do something through you in great ways? Oh, we've been rocked to sleep thinking, well, that's not going to happen. I'm just not like that. Somebody else will have to do that. Here's a statement that came from the time of Christ. And you're not going to like it. Like father, like son. Before Christ. It said, like mother, like daughter. This is the statement they said back then. We say it like this. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Just like his daddy. Well, they're saying it. He's just like his daddy, Joseph. He's just like his brothers. And everybody else from Galilee. Because they're all from Galilee. They're all the same stuff. They're made from the same breeding. The same lineage. So they all got that same problem. They're Galilean. And Jesus says, you don't know where I came from. Yeah, we do. You're from Galilee. You don't know. If you think Jesus of Nazareth born in Bethlehem and came and walked this earth and died and rose to save you from, from your sins and that's what you believe, you're missing half of the gospel. He didn't raise to save you from your sins. He raised you to live with Him in power and strength to transform the world around you that you would be a light too. His light. And you can't shine if you don't believe the light's real or truly in you. 
If you belong to Jesus, you are like Him. No questions asked. Like father, like son. Like father, like daughter. Like father, like son. This is true of people who belong to God. Like the father, you're like the son. You say, oh well, I don't know, preacher. I don't have to tell you. Let John himself tell you. He wrote, you know, more than one one book. He wrote 1 John. And this is what he said in the third chapter. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Get it? Like father, like daughter, like son. Therefore, the world does not know us or where we're from because it did not know Him or where He was from. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed to us what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him. For He, we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has His hope purifies himself just as He is pure. We shall be like Him. And we keep going, oh, well, nobody's perfect. You are in Jesus Christ. Yes, you are. Oh, no, no, I sin all the time. Then purify yourself. Change the way you look at yourself in life and start living for the kingdom rather than your sinful desires. That's what Jesus would say. Leave your life of sin. Choose to follow Jesus rather than the sinful desires of the flesh. Oh, that's too easy. That makes it simple. Why complicate the gospel? Jesus did not save you from your sins. He saved you out of them to get you to put them away so you could live before Christ and the Father in ways that please the Father. Not, well, I'm, I'm not sinning, but rather, what am I doing for my Father to show others Him? How am I pleasing Him? One of the toughest things we do in our life, and, and you, you probably don't realize you do this, but is to look at yourself in the mirror. I imagine if you took the most stunning person in this world to ask them to look in the mirror and see if they could find a fault, they'd find many. They could be the most beautiful person rated in you know history. And you look at me and go, oh, my nose is a little crooked. You know, I don't like the way my cheek goes up too high. Or whatever they might say. Right? Whatever they might say, they're looking at themselves and finding something wrong. What if you stood in front of the mirror like God said and you said, I see Jesus in there. Because He's in me and I'm going to glorify Him and He's made me wonderful and fabulous and glorious. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm going to go let the world know how good God is. Because He's asked me to. He's asked that person in the mirror to tell the world about Him. I may look at myself and think I'm not qualified, but I'm not the one who determines my qualifications. That's flesh saying that. The Father says you belong to Him. You're in the family. You can tell people. The only reason you wouldn't want to tell people is you're not sure that you're in the family. 
And relatively speaking, that's a family you don't want to miss out on. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I know that Your Word is true and always has been and continues to be. And sometimes we fight it, we question it. Question ourselves too for some reason. And yet we hear the truths and we still keep questioning. I'm asking you to help us today to lay that stuff down and accept the truth of who you say we are, who you are, and stop fighting against you and against who you say we are when we're in you. To not say, I can't, I don't know how, but rather to say, I'm going to follow and let him teach me. I'm going to learn. I'm going to grow. I'm going to be what you said I am, and I'm going to live that out as you help me. So help me, Lord, to be yours in all I say and do, including in my own mind, in my own thoughts toward myself and others. Remove my fleshly stuff, God, and make me truly love in this world. Amen. I often wonder, when I read this passage, I was trying to figure out what to say different. But I realized when Jesus is actually putting the people on trial to see if they belong to his in-group, that's the cultural thing. Do you belong with me? And the folks that he's talking to don't want to be in the group with him. But he's going to put out there and has just started with I am the light of the world by saying, if you don't know who I am, you're going to walk in darkness and destruction and you will die eternally. And he's trying to find out if we're with him. If they're with him. And they're trying to put it back on him to prove himself, but he throws it back in their lap and says, no, you need to be with me. Not I need to believe and follow the way you say things are, but we need to follow the way Christ says things are. And, and that's not always easy task. Because we've been culturized and individualized to think that we know more than those around us. And sometimes we apply that to God. And so today I challenge you to let go of the things that tell you you're not who God said you are. The doubts and fears, questions you might have, what other people might say. If those things influence you, then something other than the Holy Spirit inside is telling you who you are. You sure you want that? One more prayer, then I'll dismiss. Gracious Heavenly Father, there's places in my life where I've looked from the flesh. I repent today. And each one of us here, Heavenly Father, this is Lord. I've told you I can't do things. But you called me to it, so I can. So who am I to argue with you? But I am. I stop that now. You say I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, and I look at myself and see anything less than wonderful when I look in the mirror. When I look at my life, I don't see you, I see me. So Heavenly Father, let us look through the different eyes now. The way you see us. The way you've called us to be. Not low living, but living in your kingdom here. Which is not a kingdom of flesh and blood. That won't inherit your kingdom. 
but of peace, joy, love, fellowship in the Holy Spirit. Of that belongs your kingdom, Heavenly Father. Help us to learn that from you. Help us to follow you, which comes after the true belief. I pray this, Heavenly Father, that we walk in your truth. Amen.